1: Welcome to In Her Shoes. I'm Lindsay Peoples. This week, we're talking with Geraldine Chung, the founder of LCD. When Geraldine launched the brand in 2012, she didn't have a background in fashion. She had been running digital for Atlantic Records. And LCD began as an online destination. It showcased an inspired mix of emerging independent designers and grew fast. Within a few years, Geraldine went on to open a brick and mortar location in Los Angeles. But like so many other small businesses, LCD took a big revenue hit during the pandemic. And since that time, it's been difficult for a lot of small brands to regain stability, much less profitability. Earlier this month, Geraldine announced in a very candid and vulnerable Instagram post that she's shutting down the business. We wanted to talk with her about how she reached this decision and look back on what she learned in a decade of building and evolving the brand and its values. Thank you so much for being here. I'm really excited to talk with you because you have a really interesting entrepreneurial journey. Can you describe how you came up with the idea for LCD and how you went from working in the music business to launching an online retail brand? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I got into this industry with a lot of
2: naivete. I did not have a retail background or a fashion background or a business background, And so I really, I mean, it's almost, in a way, the only way to get into it. Because if you knew better, you might not do it. (laughs) It's just funny. I have so many friends now who are in retail who are like, why? I would have told you not to do this. It's crazy. It's like so hard to make money in this industry. Um, But yeah, so I was working at Atlantic Records at the time in New York. I was running their digital media department Um, And I had been before that a web developer for many years, so I'm very comfortable with the online world. I'm very tech savvy. And I had, when I first moved to New York, actually, I lived with a really good friend of mine, and she was a buyer at Barney's. So she kind of like sparked my love of fashion. And so, you know, living with her and hanging out with her made me like really appreciate fashion and design and I was working, you know, at Atlantic Records. I'd always loved music and been really into it my whole life. But I was kind of, well, I was very burned out. And I was looking for the next thing to do. And so I was like, well, why don't I take, like, tech savvy and my love of fashion and marry the two together and, you know, start an online store? How hard could it be? Oh, I mean, but at that point, I just launched like over 200 websites. I was running e-commerce for, you know, a lot of um, musical artists. And so, you know, I, I really understood that side of the equation, but the fashion side of the equation, retail and buying and wholesale and margins and, you know, net terms and all those things were complete mystery to me. So I just went in without knowing anything with a lot of high hopes and Yeah. (laughs) good intentions I suppose
1: your love of fashion is super apparent and, and I and I really admire that because I think so many people um have lost just an actual love and passion for it and so I'm curious about where that came from I think
2: I got it from my mom she always dressed really it's so funny you know when we when I was a kid the cool way to dress was you'd wear like a T-shirt from the gap or J. Crew, and you wanted it was like that very all-American kind of look. And my mom would wear, you know, Versace and like, you know, escada, like wild prince, leopard prince, you know, and she and amazingly, she keeps everything in pristine condition. So I am going to be, you know, rating that wardrobe. Um, so it kind of started there, just like opening my eyes to different ways of dressing and I think as someone who has been overweight much of my life, that gave me a way to look at fashion in a different way. And I think that's why LCD has always kind of bought more interesting designers is because I'm not looking at the things that fit everyone else. So that's why we're, you know, we were buying 69 and meals and Martine Rose, you're playing with volume. We're playing with size. We bought a lot of men'swear. I say I keep saying we. I bought a lot of menswear because that's all I could fit into. I couldn't wear a lot of, you know, female designers. Um, so I think you know a lot of it's it was super personal, just super personal, just wanting something interesting that I could wear and realizing that a lot of normal quote unquote fashion just doesn't fit me.
1: How did you learn what it took to run a business? Because you're saying, obviously, you didn't understand some of those things. So did you have mentors along the way? Did you just ask people, like, what was that process like for you? A friend of mine who was just a little bit further along in the journey than
2: I was, but she had worked... In retail as a buyer and in sales, um, and she was launching. Her name's Christine Chang, and she was launching a kids brand called Boy and Girl, and she had started, I think, about six months prior to me. So we were like really kind of on, along the same path. She was just a little bit ahead of me, and she had more experience than I did in the fashion world. She was a buyer at Nike and a um, ABC Home. And so I actually could go to her with a lot of questions that I just like, you know, I'd be texting her under the table at a sales meeting being be like, what does terms mean? <laughs> um, so she helped me a lot. I had another friend of mine was a um, fashion designer named Jen Cao. and she gave me a
1: lot of direction and advice as well. And what would you say during that period you remember just... I mean, that period obviously sounds like you were just trying to soak it all in and fully understand the, the business side of things that you that you didn't have previous knowledge to, but what would you say the biggest takeaway that really surprised you during that period of that you thought you really understood but didn't?
2: It was 2012, and I think, you know, obviously e-commerce had been a thing, but I think it was really taking off and influencer culture was really taking off at that time. And um, I think that, there was a lot for me of just, like, a lot of pride in not wanting to deal with influencers. I think I was influenced in part by a lot of my friends who were just like, ugh, why? But in hindsight, you know, the, I should have been more strategic about it and found people who were, like, aligned with me and that I really admired their style. And I think, you know, having having that kind of friendship and partnership makes a big difference, As especially we were moving into a world where e-commerce was really dominated by Instagram. And now, you know, of course, TikTok. And that's not to say I didn't develop a lot of really great friendships with people who are influencers. But, you know, I think if I had embraced that a little bit earlier on, if I had embraced, honestly, PR is one of those things that are so intangible. And you feel like you're spending so much money without a lot of return. But. In hindsight, I do feel like that would have been really critical in terms of just, like, making us known to the greater world, which helps in terms of, like, if you're going on, you know, searching for something, you're like, oh, I'm going to go and see what so-and-so has on their website. Just, like, bringing you to the front of the mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously, the pandemic knocked the wind out of so many small businesses and, and changed that conversation. And also, I think, upped, you know, how people were producing on TikTok because they were just at home all the time. What did that impact look like specifically in the e-commerce space?
2: I think for us, you know, I I think if you ask anyone, I'm very transparent in terms of honestly, everything. <laughs> very transparent about my business. And I think I, as soon as You know, the lockdown started to happen. I just took to Instagram and I was very open about all the struggles that we were having and how difficult it was, you know, how little sleep I was getting, how confusing the research was in terms of how do we get grants or PPP loans, how do we apply for things like the SBA EIDL loan or yeah. Yeah. And so I think people really resonated with the fact that I was being very vulnerable on Instagram and sharing, you know, how difficult it was to run a small business. And so during that time, we actually received a lot of support from people all over the country, honestly, shopping online and making sure that we survived.
1: Yeah. Give me some also context at that point. I mean, whether it's like start of pandemic or um, the past couple of years, when you say small business, how small was your business? Like how many people on your team? How many people were you working as well? In
2: 2016, I opened my first brick and mortar and we started hiring you know, sales staff. And then a year and a half later, we moved into a a space on Abbott Kinney, which is, you know, a very well-known shopping street. So we had way more foot traffic, and so we had to hire more people. And we almost simultaneously opened a second store in downtown L.A. in 2017. And so I think the biggest our t- my team has ever gotten is maybe eight or nine people. Um, but at, at the time during COVID, yeah, we still had the two stores. So I think we had maybe eight people on payroll. Right. So small, okay. you know, I yeah. guess considered micro-business,
1: really. For sure. Um, what would you say the transition was like for you, obviously, coming from music world and then jumping into fashion, also managing people is obviously a very different world. What was that transition like for you? Um,
2: <laughs> it, was, it was definitely a huge transition, especially coming from, you know, I had a role— as a manager at Atlantic Records, but I didn't really have to manage people so much, you know, like, especially in the tech world, you're like, you're citing projects and people are kind of like just doing their own thing. And then they're, you know, it's either whether I not submitted on time or not. Um, I'm sure in larger tech companies, it's a lot more complicated than that. But, you know, in, in my past roles, it hasn't been a lot of management. So it was kind of a rude awakening, just having to, Learn a whole new industry and learning all the ways that you have to manage people and personalities in retail and, in, you know, social media and encouraging people to be, you know, take up a kind of voice on social media or encouraging sales staff to be really warm to people when they come in. That You know, we're not the kind of store where we put up our nose at people because they don't know who Martine Rose is. And so, you know, it was really developing a culture which you know, I'd never done before but was you know definitely one of the more fun things about starting your own business is to be able to establish that what are your set of values what is your culture you know how do you treat people when they walk in the door
1: I mean, speaking of values, I know that for so many young designers, um, they're often asked about sustainability because we we talk about c- consumption in designers and fashion overall just selling so much. How did you navigate questions around that, both from a financial aspect and just environmental perspective? I mean, it's funny that you you
2: ask that because a lot of times I, I do, I have in the past 11 years questioned, what am I doing? Why am I putting more stuff out in this world when we don't need any more stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 always been, not always, but, you know, increasingly over the past 11 years, been coming to the forefront in terms of, you know, who do you choose to buy? Who do you choose to support? Where do I put my dollars um, when I'm buying for the store? And even, you know, things like when we do our shopping bags, are we making them with recycled paper? You know, just... It kind of it does trickle down all the way, you know, in terms of all aspects of the business. When we when we ship things out, we are re- reusing Amazon boxes instead of buying fresh boxes. Um, so in terms of you know the buying strategy, obviously we we carry we've carried Kalina Strata for a long time, and she's such a champion for sustainability in um, fashion. And Mar Hoffman, for example, who is super inspiring to me in terms of how she just. You know, she had a super thriving business and she just realized, you know what, this is not serving me. This is not good for the environment. I am gonna torch it all and start from scratch and just do like what feels right to me. So, you know, she's super inspiring to me. And you know, it's it's not like the number one thing that we look at when when I buy. I always say we, but it's me. <laughs> I don't know, it's like a weird. Thing that we we i women do but it's me I, my it's my company um when i buy it's not the first thing i look at but it's probably you know number two in terms of what what is this designer doing in terms of thinking about sustainability are they you know being conscientious about the factories they work with and where they're producing and what you know are they using recycled cotton where they can or organic cotton and i found that you know, we because I work with so many designers that are very like minded and very conscientious and very aware of the world that we live in. They are increasingly using, you know, organic cotton. They're using Lyocell. They're using dead stock. So it's 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 definitely become a bigger and bigger part of the business.
1: So 2022, you had pretty strong sales and honestly, we in a good place. What actually led you, though, to then just decide to shutter the business?
2: So, you know, coming out of COVID, everybody had money in their pockets. They were ready to go out. They wanted to shop. And it was just kind of a banging year. It's just we came out of it so strong. We had so much local support. It was super wonderful. And I... I was feeling really positive about our outlook. And so we decided to move into a bigger space in our building. And then I you know, was buying a ton of inventory because I'm like, double the space, double the inventory. People are shopping. We're going to do this. And then things started to taper down. Inflation worries came. It's funny because the macroeconomic conditions of American economy really do impact us small businesses, which, I mean, I didn't really expect it would affect someone so small as LCD, but it really does. You know, when, when people, there are rumors of recession, sales slow down. When there's rumors of inflation, sales slow down. And so I went into fall of 22 with way too much inventory, way, way, way too much inventory. And so we were doing secret sales. We were inviting friends over to just like buy things at wholesale because I just had so much inventory to pay for. I ended up blowing our entire um like excess, you know, we we had I had applied for a massive EIDL loan, like the disaster loan that the SBA was offering during COVID. And we were sitting on some nice, a nice chunk of change there. And instead of I had to spend it all on this inventory that I had ordered and wasn't able to sell so heading into 23 2023 um we just like had too much inventory tons of invoices and then january february people
0: just
2: january february is always slow months for us you know people after the highlights of november december but it was kind of bitterly slow in january february and I, it started making me really worry about you know are we going to survive this? This is too chaotic. Things are up. Things are down. And I started really looking at our business strategy and realizing that we were losing a lot of money on e-commerce. Um, it's just too difficult, really, to compete as a small business because you know we don't have volume when we're ordering items. So you know it costs us per garment way more to shoot something, we have photo- fees, model fees, retouching, stylist fees, and then like data entry and all that. So, you know, if we only bought five of something, the cost per, per item is just too high to run e-commerce. So I started, you know, kind of retreating from e-commerce and just focusing on our brick and mortar, which has always done really well when we, you know, being on Abbott Kinney, which is such a great shopping street. And so, you know, things started picking up for us again because I was really cutting costs. I was, you know, as people, as sales teams were leaving, I just didn't rehire those positions to try to really keep things tight. But, um, and in fact, April and May, we were profitable for the first time in 11 years. (laughs) So, you know, I felt like everything I was doing was correct in terms of the business strategy. And, you know, I was buying a lot less inventory. My mom ended up being getting sick with cancer in February. So, you know, kind of, she's totally fine now, which is why I can say it was perfect timing <laughs> because that was market. And I ended up not buying a lot of merchandise because I was busy dealing with my mom. And it turns out buying less merchandise was the right amount of merchandise. And so when we hit April, May, June, we did really well and I was profitable. And I was like, we've got it. I figured it out. <laughs> and then the summer, everybody went to Europe. Everybody went to Europe. We would look like walk out on the street and just be like, where the where the hell is everyone? Like it was empty. And so the one thing I couldn't control, you know, kind of happened that nobody was shopping anymore. And, and that's
1: when it kind of just became really very real. What has that process been like for you to grieve and process and, and be OK with the fact that you spent so long with this business, but also have to let it go?
2: It's it's really not easy as someone who's accustomed to success, you know, like always been able to work hard and and figure it out and do well, and you know I have a I have a good friend who taught me this term, which is um, of course now I'm totally blanking. Oh, it's the sunk cost fallacy. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but it's something to do with like, like, for example, when you're waiting for a table at a hot restaurant, right? You're like, you wait for 15 minutes. You're like, you know, it's been 15 minutes. Let's wait another 15 minutes. And then at a certain point, you've sunk so much time into it that you just can't leave. You've been like, I've waited an hour. now like, it's too, I'm too far gone. Like, I have to eat here now. So it's kind of that, you know, like I've worked in this business so much. I put so much of my money into it. And like, it's got to work. There's got to be a way for me to make it work. And so it was really, really hard to wrap my head around that fallacy that it's just like, dude, it's not going to work. <laughs> um. So yes, that pr- that process was a long time coming, honestly. it's. It, I think it started maybe a year ago when we had some employee drama and I was so sick to my stomach about like, Being so worried about taking care of everyone and making sure everybody was okay and to the point where I was ill. And that's when I realized it's kind of, it's not that they're not worth it, but like this business is not worth me being sick.
1: What advice would you offer now, you know, in hindsight to people who look to you know, to you, to LCD as a model for something that they would like to emulate or for anyone thinking of following just an entrepreneurial path in fashion? Yeah, I think I,
2: I... I, My advice would be definitely ask a lot of questions. Definitely try really hard, much harder than I did, to seek out real mentorship and not just in terms of, like, the basics. Don't be proud, like... Really, really ask for business advice because this is, it's a business and, you know, some people would get really lucky and they will just hit all the right notes and just like take off. But as we all know, like, was it 98% of small businesses fail within the first two years? So I would say, you know, don't have an ego. Ask a lot of questions put yourself out there and you know get proper business advice or if if not also a proper
1: business partner so tell me where's your head at around your next chapter uh I don't know I I think that I've just been
2: flagellating myself with retail for so long that I've become like a masochist mm-hmm <laughs> <laughs> I really kind of love retail even though like the maths don't work like I was saying in my in my closing announcement the maths really don't work but there's something really magical about retail and I'm really praying that you know the the everything is cyclical so I'm I'm praying that there's going to be a way that retail will live again because how sad would it be if we were in a world where all you could do is shop on Amazon
1: I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for listening to In Her Shoes. Today's episode was produced and edited by Nishat Kerwa. Our engineers are Jelani Carter and Brandon McFarland. I'm your host, Lindsay Peoples. In Her Shoes is a production of The Cut and New York Magazine.